0: Support for Talking Art on WVIK comes from the people at Quad City Bank and Trust, helping the local community with their banking and financial needs for more than 20 years. Information is at QCBT.com. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm Talking Art today with Lily Arberser, a Quad City native and soprano vocalist who will be performing at a benefit concert this Friday, August 30th. Welcome, Lily. Thank you so much, Carolyn. Now, there's a lot going on in this upcoming concert of yours. First of all, this is a benefit performance for local flood victims. And how how great is that?
1: Well, I was pretty excited to have a chance to come home and to try to make a difference. So, when Marilyn suggested that we could put together a concert, we both agreed that it was important that it have a function for serving the community. And obviously, the recent flooding is a major issue. So, we wanted to try to address it. Mm-hmm.
0: You'll be accompanied by Dr. Marion Lee, who's an associate professor of piano at St. Ambrose University, and, and she'll be playing on the restored Playel double grand piano. What can you tell us about this unusual piano?
1: Well, it's a pretty exciting instrument. From what I understand, there are only six or seven still in existence in the world, and this instrument was built in 1904 in Paris, and they were designed to be, well, I guess, for lack of another term, sort of like a Siamese twin piano. So there are two keyboards that are facing each other. They share a soundboard, but they have separate strings. And it was an instrument that was designed to kind of deal with space limitations, as I understand it. So a lot of the salons in Paris, people didn't necessarily have palatial spaces. And so it was useful to not have to have two pianos when wanting to do reductions of symphonies and having two pianists play Or if one pianist was going to be playing the concerto, then the other pianist is able to play the symphony reduction to accompany the concerto player. And also there were double scores made for opera uh, as well. And so the play-out was very useful in Hmm. in that context.
0: So there really were some functional reasons behind that. And and I understand the original person who owned this. She was quite an amazing woman, Marguerite de Saint-Marceau, and had... Quite a few friends um, in the musical world that were very important, and some some musical pieces were premiered in her in her home on this particular piano.
1: That's correct, Um, Marguerite. uh, She also, in her first marriage, she was known as Marguerite Bonny. So you will also see her name in history written down that way because. Composers such as Fauré dedicated pieces to her. He dedicated a very famous piece, A en Rêve, in, I believe, 1878 to Marguerite Bonny. Later, she remarried to uh, Saint-Marco. I believe he was a sculptor. And she was a, a big figure in the Salon world of Paris in the early 1900s. And she actually kept a journal from 1894 to 1927 that we have. So we're able to see which pieces were premiered and the characters and personages who attended the salons. And that's a pretty exciting historical document. Mm -hmm. So famous composers such as Ravel, the young Poulenc, Debussy, Renaldo Han, Manuel de Falla, Lily Boulanger. I mean, it was sort of the, the place to be seen and be heard. And these salons were opportunities for composers to try out their newest pieces. Because concert life wasn't the same as it is today, I think salon served a very major function in society and also uh, in sort of getting your music out into the world. Mm-hmm. And
0: then after World War II, this this really important piano was purchased by a couple from Bettendorf and, and arrived to the Quad Cities. Um, in that way, Joe and Theo LeClaire, and that that's so that's such an interesting little twist. Um and then it was restored it recently. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it was restored recently like they um so I understand that after uh they both passed away, um it passed on to the Butterworth Center and then Winter River Music Experience and then was restored um just in 2018.
1: Yeah, that's correct. The the Federated Music Teachers Association, I believe they purchased it for for a paltry sum, a very kind uh number from from, I'm not sure if it was from the estate of John Duda or directly from the man who was originally going to be restoring the piano. And they raised over $20,000 to make it possible for this instrument to be brought back to its former glory and for people to be able to hear it Mm -hmm. live.
0: You mentioned the name John Duda, and he was really important within this story. He was a piano tuner here in town who started the initial restoration of this beautiful piano, but unfortunately he died in 2017, before um, before it was completed, and then he uh, sold um, the the piano, this valuable piece, for just fifty one dollars to the <laughs> Federated Music Teachers Association, who then could could run with it. Um, so it's it's really it's really a beautiful story, and and I understand there there was a woman Laura, there is a woman Laura Crumbleholm who is a who who helped fundraise for this? Because it was, I think, around $20,000 to restore it.
1: Yeah, it might have even been a little north of that. And I believe that Laura is actually joining Marion and me for for one of the selections, the DuPont opera that I had mentioned, entitled Antar. We're just doing um, a short excerpt from the end of Act One, and it includes this music that is sung by the chorus, that they make the sound of the wind. But since we don't have a chorus, Laura has agreed to come in and and utilize the playoff for its capacities, so we'll have two pianists playing mm-hmm.
0: at once. And she's a long-term Moline piano teacher. Now, Asbury um, United Methodist Church, I think, is just temporarily housing the piano. They've had it for close to a year. Um, I'm not sure where it's going to be heading after that, but but it's just so fantastic that you all are able to put this performance together.
1: Yeah, I was when Marilyn first suggested Marilyn Mitchum, my piano, my former piano teacher, and my dear friend. When she first suggested it, I was over the moon, like I said, about this opportunity to come back home to make some music with local, local musicians who I respect so much. And just to also hopefully be able to give back to the community a little bit. And I know the Asbury Church is very focused on philanthropic efforts, and I'm grateful to be taking part in them.
0: Now, what songs will you be performing on Friday?
1: So Marion and I have put together a really beautiful recital. We're focusing on music that would have been heard during that time period, as well as certain pieces that were actually premiered either on the instrument or perhaps in the presence of the instrument, because we can't know if there was not another piano in in the salon at the same time. So we will be uh, singing music of Debussy. We'll be singing his First version of Claire de Lune, as well as Apparition, a very beautiful setting of a poem by Mallarmé. But we'll be doing a selection from his Pellias et Saint-Mélisande. We will also be doing a selection by uh, a lesser known composer named Dupont. He had written an opera called Antar, which was premiered on the Playel or else in the Salon in 1921. And uh, Marion will be delighting the audience with the rendition of L'Ile Joyeuse, another fabulous and famous piece by Debussy. And we will also be doing a cycle by Gabriel Foray, one of the pieces of which was, was com- um, premiered on the instrument or again at the salon, Mandoline. The cycle is Cinq Melodies de Venice. And we'll also be doing a cycle by Manuel de Falla, a Spanish composer, Siete Canciones Populares Espa- Españolas. So it's going to be a very fun evening and filled with a lot of early 20th century music.
0: Mm-hmm. And the concert is free of charge and, and really it's just the donations that are that are available to the local flood victims. So it's it's available to anyone here in our community.
1: That's correct. I, I would hope that anyone who has an interest will come to hear us. How long do you need to
0: rehearse for a performance like this?
1: Well, Mary and I will have about a week to prepare. We'll be working together at least three or four times before the performance goes up. That's um, a bit of a luxury, I think, in our world. But I think it's necessary since the two of us have never worked together before. And I think we both want to do this music justice mm-hmm. as a team. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, let's talk about your career now in vocal performance. And you, you graduated from Central High School in Davenport around 15 years ago. So you're from the Quad Cities. And, and then correct. you headed to Princeton. And how did your career take off from there?
1: Right after Princeton, I spent a year deciding where to go to grad school, and then I was lucky enough to be admitted to the the Mannes College. It's part of the new part of the new school, and after that, I have been auditioning and working with different teachers and sort of making my way through some young artist programs. I'm actually here at Ravinia as we speak. It's a, a really fabulous fellowship in Chicago for three weeks that gives a lot of exposure and opportunity to work with some pretty high level people in the business. So that, I guess it's, you know, kind of a slow burn of a career. It takes a long time to develop your instrument as an opera singer. And it also takes a long time to kind of chip away at, the world of opera. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. But this year you've had a great year. You won the National Federation of Music Club's Young Artist Competition.
1: Yes, I did. And so it was very exciting. And actually the story behind that is kind of kind of wonderful too, because my my piano teacher from my childhood, Marilyn Mitchum, who is also uh, one of the driving forces of the restoration of the play she had suggested to me that I keep my eye on that competition maybe 10 years ago. And finally, I felt ready to apply this year. And so it was particularly exciting to go and represent Iowa in that competition and to actually win. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, we're talking to you right now while you're in Chicago. You're, you're performing, as you mentioned, at Ravinia with the Steens Music Institute as a vocal fellow. Tell, tell us what that experience is like.
1: It's been really great. They take incredibly good care of the fellows here, and they set us up to work with world-class teachers and coaches and we get a chance to work with fabulous pianist duo and prepare repertoire that we have suggested to work on for the summer so it's very intensive because it's only three weeks and every day is a new experience of learning new repertoire and getting it ready to present in front of the public.
0: Mm National Arts and Education Week is coming up. It's right around the corner starting September 8th. Um, do, you, do you feel like the education you had in the Davenport School District at, at Central High School in particular, Do you, do you think that prepared you adequately for your career in the arts?
1: I think that it created an incredible platform for me. I tell everyone that the Davenport public school system is the reason why I'm a professional musician. My parents are incredibly supportive and helped me to have private lessons. But without the access and the sort of push from the the school district, I'm not sure that my interest would have been as deep seated as it is. I think I had an opportunity to learn three instruments, to sing in many different groups, to play in many different ensembles. And that underpinning gave me a really strong musicianship that has fed my musical life and also my career.
0: I spoke with an Augustana College professor, Dr. Michelle Crouch, a while ago about this, about the concept of musical literacy. Um, And and Mm. you did play a lot of, um, you you played multiple instruments. Do you you think that helped you as a vocalist to be literate in music performance first? Because you you played the piano, you played the cello and French horn, I understand.
1: Yeah, that's correct. I think that any time that you have a chance to to work on a language and if we're talking about musical literacy, music as a language, that the more angles that you, you can kind of come to an understanding of that the way that language functions, the the deeper your musicality can be. So, you know, if I was studying Italian, I would be studying it from many different perspectives and it's the same with music, so having had The privilege of getting to study so many different instruments with so many great teachers, I'm sure it contributed greatly to what I'm able to do with my voice today and to the way that I approach a score. And some of the music that I've had to learn in the last year in particular has been very difficult music, but knowing that I have that instrumental background has helped me. Um, in, enormously,
0: mm-hmm. and you also sound very fluent in multiple languages. And you know, singing opera, I'm just always amazed at the ability of vocalists to capture the the nuances and inflections of so many different languages. How how was that experience for you?
1: Well, it's a very exciting challenge. I think one thing about being an American is it's a little bit harder to have access to multiple languages. You know, bilinguality is not quite as common here. As it might be in Europe. But I think again, if you have that sort of musical ear, picking up language, being able to replicate tradition, like the actual sounds of the language, it, it becomes a little bit easier. And it is, it's a fun challenge. At at Ravinia, I've had to learn some Czech to perform that I'll be performing this this weekend. And it's always intimidating when you come upon a language that you haven't had to Singing before, but then every language has such fabulous sounds and consonants and the vowels that it's really just it's a whole other musical world. Mm -hmm.
0: I read also that besides the other things that you've been doing this year, you made your debut at Carnegie Hall this season. What what did you perform there, and what was that experience like?
1: Yes, I got to make my debut at Weill Hall. It's a very beautiful jewel-like. Concert hall to the side of the main the main theater, and I was performing a role Suzu in Rio Saito's Dojoji. It was extremely exciting. We had a sold out house, and it was itself a fundraiser for the New York Glaucoma Institute. So that was again a a beautiful thing to be a part of, and you know that's the thing that every young musician dreams of getting getting their chance to be on Carnegie Hall stage. So. What can I say? I was blown away and the acoustic was amazing and it was just a very exciting evening.
0: Well, Lily Arbiser, thank
1: you so much for talking today. Thank you, Carolyn. I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing you uh, this week.
0: A benefit concert for local flood relief victims will be held this Friday, August 30th at 7.30 p.m. at the Asbury United Methodist Church in Bettendorf. The soprano Lily Arbisser and pianist Dr. Marion Lee will be performing together, and Dr. Lee will be playing on the restored Playel Double Grand Piano. The concert is free of charge. This has been Carolyn Martin, Talking Art in the Quad Cities, for WVIK. Theme music is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Cal.